0: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. A union representing or unions representing many of Hamilton's unionized workers could be on strike as of Monday. 95% strike mandate they've been given. They've had a no board report and uh, it appears, now we don't know what's going to happen. Negotiations are still ongoing, but it appears we could be heading towards this. I want to bring in Vito Scro he's a former mayoral candidate, a lib- former liberal candidate for Flamborough-Glanbrook, joins me now. Lee, uh, Vito, how are you?
1: Good afternoon, Scott. How are you? Haven't talked to you in a while.
0: It has been a long while. Hope you're doing well and uh, hope you're prepared, I guess, to not have garbage pick up and a bunch of other things that may go away for a little while if this strike happens.
1: I am not prepared in the least as I don't think a lot of people, especially in the lower city are this, this could be uh, a massive disaster, especially in the summertime for sure.
0: You know, I was going to say, how did we get here? But I think I know part of the reason how we got here. And it kind of surprises me that it was allowed to happen. And let me read a quote from Jay Hunter. He's the president of QP5167. To add insult to injury, we've come to learn the city has increased wages for managers and non union staff at a much higher rate than what our members are asking for. Clearly, there's money available to pay staff. Vito, the city has a policy to avoid a brain drain that they will keep up with certain other municipalities. But when you gave two increases in a year to the non-union people, some of it 15%, were you not almost guaranteeing you were going to have a showdown with the unions?
1: So this, this is just a symptom of a, a, a very poor management style and not just this council now, in, in prior manage, um, councils. Uh, you, you take a look at, at the way we spend cash, the systems that are in place, the, the processes we go through. And this doesn't surprise me. And by the way, it's going to shock a lot of people who know me. I don't blame QP5167 in the least to try to get at least the inflationary amount because inflation right now is 5, 6, 7%. I was at the meeting on Monday for the uh, encampment issues and that, that fiasco. And what came out there is that the city has already hired 150 full-time people in the last eight to nine months. That's another 12 to $15 million a year going forward every year. We just keep adding cost after cost after cost. I have no problem with uh, reasonable demands from CUPE, uh, which, again, shocks a lot of the people that know me. I think they work very hard. I, I, I would support uh, 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 an increase uh, asked by that amount, because if you take a look at the budgeting in this city, how they spend money, this is a very minor ask compared to what else we do. We've got some serious problems in here and this, this management style of this council better change quickly because 6% will look like a dream compared to what's mm. coming in increases in the following years.
0: Well, he, he, here's one of the things, um, back about a year ago, I wrote something cause I just found out the numbers 10 years ago, and this is as a lot, so 11 years ago now, the city paid $629 million in salaries and benefits, 600. 129 million this year, by next year, it will probably pass the $1 billion. It has gone up by a third in just about a decade. And it is going up faster and faster every year because you're building increases on previous increases. There comes a point though, and I'm not taking away the workers and the hard work they do and that they deserve increases, but somehow it's got to get tempered. I mean, we can't afford to keep going at this pace, can we?
1: So, so what, what I'll give you an example. Uh, as I've spoken to you earlier, I was on the board of HECFI, Hamilton Inter- Entertainment Conventions Facilities, about 10 years ago, the last four months it existed. They had a management structure that was very low at the beginning, a few hundred thousand dollars a year in salaries. That ballooned to $3 million a year. That was 30% of revenue just in upper management. We have hired so top heavy. To do what? I have no idea. I absolutely have no idea. And they just keep spending more and more and more and more. There's an opportunity. We're going to have a new city manager. And I hope it's from someone from the outside, because if it's just the culture that's on the inside, we're going to have even more serious trouble. We need to do go through every department, and I mean every department, on a value for money audit, line by line. And it's not just salaries. Salaries are a large part of it. There's no doubt about it. But the waste that occurs, I, I took a look at the 2021 financial statements for the city of Hamilton. And, and those are the only ones I could find available online. Our, our, our reserves are dropping and our debt is going up. There's a crunch coming. Um, we've got some big, big costs to take care of. There's a study by uh, the GM Health Plan. It's, a, company, uh, it's a, a consulting firm that took a look at the infrastructure needs of the lower city there is a problem especially along barton street to the main sewer line it's going to take a billion dollars just to clean that area up and this isn't some some nice thing this is water and sewer basic needs we've got so many things coming ahead of us and the frivolous the frivolity that this city is spending money on is ridiculous
0: well um you know, you, you, mentioned the, the hundred and whatever it was, new people that have been hired. Hundred and fifty. Here's what I don't understand about that. And again, you know, I know that people in the public sector may tell me that I'm being naive or I'm being obtuse or whatever else. How come the private sector continues to be asked to do more and more with less and less. And I'm not suggesting they're doing everything, every bit as well as they once did with less people, but it hasn't dropped off the cliff. And in the public sector. We insist that we have to keep hiring at a rapid pace just to keep up with what's going I I don't understand how we can't expect those in the public sector also maybe to do a little bit more. It doesn't seem like it's a whole lot to ask for the salary, for the benefits, for the protection of your job. It
1: doesn't seem unreasonable to me. It's It's management style. Again, it starts literally from the top. Uh, what direction is given? What is expected? Is it is it, uh, uh, is it told to the employees? This is where we need to go. I mean, uh, again, it, it from the very, very top on down, and I hope this new city manager comes in and says, I'm sorry, I've been given a mandate to run this efficiently as the best we can. And I hope he or she does do that. Uh, I, I remember around the time of amalgamation, there was a gentleman named Doug Licek, and he was appointed as the city manager. He was what we needed. Now, unfortunately, he angered many, many counselors at the time when he went into their little spe- uh, special pet projects, and he cut them. And what did these counselors do? First of all, they found jobs for their friends and in, in, um, uh, organizations that were associated with the city, and then they went and fired him. And then they went and fired the next guy literally months after he was hired. We, we need more of a professional type, and, and I hate using the word business, like, because businesses and governments don't mix, uh, you need to be efficient. There's no doubt about it, but this is strictly a management problem. This is not an employee problem, especially at the QP level. It's at the top.
0: We, we got Vito, we got to go, but forgive my, my skepticism. I don't mm-hmm. see any likelihood that we are going to get rid of anybody. I don't want people fired. I, I would be happy with just putting a, a hiring freeze on and saying, as people leave, we're not going to replace them. Anything, but I don't see that happening. I don't see any evidence that this city has any interest in reducing in size by one person.
1: There, there is going to be that will happen when the anger finally hits from outside. That means the taxpayers like myself and you. Is that and when? The, is that when the ten that, or
0: eleven percent tax increase hits?
1: Well, six percent will look like a dream in the next year or two. Trust me. I mean, you took a look at the meeting I went to on Monday. That's $4 million right there. That didn't include, this is for the encampments, that didn't include the extra police costs that are going to be needed, which nobody has any idea how they're going to enforce these things. It's, it's, and look, Hamilton's not alone with a, an encampment issue. It's, it's all over the country. But that's just an example of, of what's going to go wrong. And, and we've got to stop governing by ideology. It's not a left, it's not a right thing. We need to get back to how do we provide the most efficient services that this city is supposed to provide. That's the only way to run a city.
0: That is Vito Scroll. always appreciate having you on. Thanks for doing it, it's been a while, but we'll have you back for sure, thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks a lot.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML yesterday down well it was at the art gallery but it was about the tie cats uh we had all the introduction about what is going to happen during the gray cup this fall late fall tomorrow down at tim horton's field uh we're going to have a game that um boy talking about important to try and smooth the path for the tie cats to get to that gray cup game you cannot lose against the winless edmonton elk steve milton is with the hamilton spectator steve this um edmonton makes me a little bit nervous these days they've been close the last few games they're winless but boy they are starting to make me a little nervous
2: yeah i think that's that that's a good description scott and i remember going through this back in uh when was that year 2004 when the the tie cats were oh, know, yeah. oh yeah bankrupt and didn't win any games and that and it reverses once you get to a certain point it reverses the pressure i mean of course there's a pressure on 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 Edmonton to to keep winning because it's just hopeless you know like the situation they're in but the other team you start noticing them I, I noticed this all the time when when they got to whatever they were oh and seven or something or oh and eight the Ticats that year that the other team was starting to feel pressure why you don't want to be the ones absolutely right and you I guess- don't want to be the ones
0: and Steve Edmonton, uh, okay, so they lost to Winnipeg last game, but they were up, what, 22 nothing at one point?
2: 22-0, yeah, yeah. They had
0: a bad game against BC the week before. The week before that, again, they played close with Winnipeg, and the week right. before that, they were not far off from Hamilton. They have been close.
2: They could have, yeah, they could have beat Hamilton. You know, I the think they came up just short there. or well, not just short, but there was a big play by actually, ironically, the guy, and I think it was his first pass. It was certainly his first uh completion in the uh, CFL is the guy who will be starting uh, tomorrow night for Hamilton uh, uh, Powell. And, you know, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. They, they were close, but you know, sometimes this happens. And that's why if you're the other team, what you have to do is get on them right away to remind mm-hmm. the other team that this is why you're there and you're looking for them to implode on themselves. But, you know, Ticat's got a situation here too where where uh, you know, they're one in th- three and it's an intelligent town. And this is where Edmonton plays, I think a little better on the road. Um, and and I think the Thai Cats, they're two and two on the road, right? Well, part of it is because in both places they're intelligent fans, and when they see something that looks like a uh, something that might trigger um, uh, you know a collapse or something like that that's happened all year, then they get apprehensive. It happened last game against Montreal, and and I was talking to a couple of players today. I said, yeah, "Sorry to say this to you, but you know you, you guys have kind of taken away your own home field advantage because." When, when a team is, you know, like the, the other team starting to march, and even though you're up 14 points at the time, you're wondering, is this could it could be it? And that, you can feel that. It's all in through your head. The you can all through the stadium. So you have to remind the other team, uh, you know, you, you are this way, and, and we're going to do it to you. And, you know, they you look at this game, and, and both of these teams are, are near the bottom in a lot of situations. And as I point out in the spec, I don't know if it's up online right now or not, but it will certainly soon. Um the the uh, the difference between the two of them is, besides the Ticats have three more wins, and they're actually in a playoff spot at the moment, uh, <clears throat> is that uh, Ticats were called in many places to preseason to win it. Yeah. Nobody called Edmonton to win it.
0: Well, and, and here's the thing that makes this game so unusual. So you've got Edmonton coming in, as we say, who yeah. l- has looked more scary. If you're the Ticats, I do think you've got to be a little nervous about what you might be facing because yeah. they're starting to look a little better. But you've also got this giant mystery of what the Ticats are going to look like. They had their bye week. They're coming off a bye. They got rid of their offensive coordinator. Scott Milanovic is now in for Tommy Condell. You got mm-hmm. a third string quarterback. There's all kinds of ingredients here that make this a complete mystery.
2: Well, there are. <clears throat> some of them are positive actually um you know it has been mysterious yes how how has uh has uh he had a chance has scott had a chance to really absorb things but don't forget he was on staff and he's been reviewing every 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 piece of film and we're talking about practice too right so he, he had been on staff <clears throat> both teams i mean there's a lot of parallels here um both teams have uh you know got new coordinators um the other the uh Terius Jackson is now the coordinator in Edmonton after they demoted Steve McAdoo, who had a, who's had a great CFL career and worked for Milanovic with with uh, um, Orlando Stein, Steinhauer when they won the 2012 Great Cup in, in Toronto. So, I mean, that's, that's, of course, the interlocking thing that is a, a small league, but both of them are starting their third-string quarterbacks. Yep. Right. Trey Ford comes in. Now he's he's a he's a running quarterback and they give Ty Cats as every TyCat fan knows, especially if the if he's good at the RPO and it's hard to say because he's only you know I think started five games in his young career. It's great to see a Canadian get that that uh that chance. Um but he runs. And the other thing is they've got uh, um you know they're uh, basically a, a hall of uh uh famer uh receiver coming in, uh, or or coming coming back in. They got uh um, and they got Steve Dunbar. So two tall guys and tall guys. Why I mentioned that Scott is that when you're being pressured and they tie cats hope to pressure, they've got Dylan Wynn back for the first time in 11 months. Yep. So when you're pressuring, what you will always do against a young quarterback until he proves he can handle it. He's looking for the easy out right away and tall guys make a big, big difference in, in that situation, you know, so, so this... they've got, uh, Lewis back in there. So, and that makes a big difference. So.
0: This is the halfway mark. I mean, I know Labor Day yep. is often considered the halfway mark. This is technically, yep. legally, the halfway yep. mark of the Ticat yep. season. That's exactly it. What? Um, okay, I, I don't want to be negative about this. What does a? Oh, loss... yeah, I, I will be. Yeah. Okay, what does a loss mean if it happens, and what does a win mean if it happens? Because these, this is a big game, not just psychologically, although that too. What, what are each? What does each mean to the team?
2: Well, uh, if, if you win, you put yourself. Depending on what other teams do, but you again, you're keeping pace with uh, anybody else who's going for what looks like to be the final playoff spot. Right. Let's assume that Montreal and Toronto uh, have the two in the East. So now you're you're trying to beat uh, Ottawa and uh, whoever in the West is might be fourth, right, uh, to finish third. And th- finishing third in the East means nothing because there hasn't been a third place team go to the Grey Cup from the East uh, since 1971. So uh, you're not, you know. Whether or not you can break that, I don't know So if if you win, you keep pace And then you can look at yourself and say Well, we've been improving and we'll have won four out of the last six You forget that part because they started 0-3 But you can also say Well, they've only beaten Ottawa and Edmonton so far this year right that's the only one. yeah but win. you know what
0: steve before we get to the alternative they do always say you can only beat the teams they put in front of you so no, no doubt yeah so I, you, I and those are the yeah. games they should win yeah so i mean kudos to them if they get it kudos to them for taking care of the business they're supposed to take care of yeah, the exactly rest, you can now work you're sounding up.
2: like the coaching staff here huh. and that's exactly right yeah, but right. that's what you have to think you only play one game a week and 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 it, it is the opponent that you play and okay should they lose um if they lose, oh boy, you know, like you're starting to think, well, first of all, you think goodbye, home field advantage. I mean, this used to be a place people used to be scared to come into. Nobody's scared of coming in here anymore. And as we've been writing in the spec, nobody's been scared of this team. Doesn't mean you can't eventually make them scared of this team. But right now, they aren't. Nobody is. Uh, and and uh, that's partly the way the CFL goes this year. You get swings and games and those kinds of things. But And there are no very few perfect teams. There's one like two, maybe three, I'd say there's only, yeah, there's three good teams, really good teams in this league, and the rest are all in a bunch. And and uh, you want to be somewhere up that. But if you lose this one, you'll be one and four at home if you're the Tiger Cats, right? And now, now that you're taking away your own home field advantage Ooh you know, by, by, you know, by the very things I just talked about.
0: And we got, Steve, we got to run, but I also think that if you lose this one, you probably create an awful lot of questions and doubt in your own mind. I know these are professional athletes and all the rest, but if you lose this, that's got to weigh
2: on you. Well, it does. And, but they'd look forward to the second half. They got Dylan Wynn back. Yeah, Bo, we don't know how far Bo was away. Matt Schilt is a little much closer. I thought Matt might not play again this season, but I was watching him walk today and talked to him briefly. And, and I think that, you know, he looks closer to coming. You're developing a quarterback of the future, maybe uh, all of those things. None of that developing for the future means anything in a year in which you want to be in a hometown great cup, but you also have a second happen and you're still not that far out of a spot. I mean, you're not really out of the spot yeah. if you lose the game. It's the beauty. It's the beauty,
0: it's the beauty or the curse of the CFL that, I mean, Both, the halfway it, mark, yeah. uh, it looks like things have not been good and they haven't, but it doesn't really mean anything. So unless, well, you're, you're, unless you're Edmonton.
2: They're more forgiving than Nelson Mandela, really.
0: (laughs) Steve Milton from the Hamilton Spectre. That's a good line. Use it. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks.
2: (laughs) Okay, Scott. Bye. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show
0: podcast on 900 CHML. When everything kind of got done with COVID, although, you know, some would argue we're still not done and others are saying, hey, there's a whole new variant just bearing down on us. So get ready. But You know what we're talking about. When things basically got done, one of the areas that our economy was really looking forward to was getting our tourism going again. This is, I mean, everybody was, everybody is looking forward to having people come and spend money here. Uh, it's a good moneymaker for us. However, the Chinese government has now left Canada off a list of countries approved as international travel destinations for tour groups. So apparently now, if you are in China and you are allowed to come on a trip, Canada is not one of the places that you're going to be going to, which may sound like, well, who cares? But it is potentially worth millions and millions and millions of dollars to our economy. What do we do with this? Uh, Dr. Robert Hewish is associate professor with the Department of International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. He joins us now. Dr. Hewish, thank you for this today.
3: Hey, good evening. Yeah, thanks so much, Scott. So I,
0: you know, I, I, when I read this story, when I heard about this at first, my initial reaction, and I don't know if this is too glib because it is millions of dollars is, you know, if we're going to take a stand against China for some of the actions that we think we should take a stand against them for, we knew there was going to be pushback somewhere. Is this just the cost of doing business the way we want to do it?
3: Yeah, it, it it might be if there if there is that stand that you that you mentioned that that we're that we've had enough of the government of China's bullying, uh, interference, and intimidation. Right there, there's all sorts of uh, stories that have been told over the last few years about all this influence that uh, that that the government of China has targeted in Ottawa, and now the tourism uh, poll that that just went on here. Uh, when I first read this, uh, I thought, well. This is maybe one of the first times that the government of China uh, in this strategic battling with with Canada uh, quit playing chess and started playing checkers. You know, like, like this is Why not a that? wise move on their part to do. And and the, the, the quick reason for that is just just look at the the international optics. You know, if you are uh, an affluent person in mainland China, you can still travel you, by all means. Come on over. Do you have family abroad? travel as you like. Are you someone in the, the rising middle class in China who would just like a vacation? Well, we're going to tell you where you can go and where you can't. And the reason that has come out of the China Chinese embassy in Ottawa, and may I quote this, is for not allowing their own citizens to travel abroad, is that lately is the quote the canadian side has has repeatedly hyped up the so-called chinese interference and rampant discriminatory anti-asian acts and words are rising significantly in canada so i've never seen the embassy in ottawa uh kind of be that direct to say we're not allowing our people to come over because we've been accused of, of foreign interference so you know, you got a couple of pieces in in the so in the they're pot basically there interfering that, that make it look
0: a bit shady. They're mm-hmm. basically interfering to show that there's not interference going on.
3: Yeah, and <laughs> and it's it's inward. Uh, it, it's it's basically sending a message to the world that China doesn't trust its own people to come to Canada, and that's not one that's going to do well internationally. And it's and it shows just sort of how whimsical this is. And there's some you know eye rolling that would go on with it. And it it's it's also part of what China has historically done to try to put interference in Canada is by targeting one of our economic sectors now traditionally agriculture was right in the middle of that right here in Nova Scotia uh, lobster sales right if there was a political dispute well suddenly customs isn't letting in lobster Uh, canola was another target pork was another one beef from Alberta Uh, and that's a game that's been played with China and Australia Uh, New Zealand as well was was victim of that and so the idea is that you put economic pressure on a particular sector of the economy then that economy those those workers they get mad at the domestic government for not playing ball with china rather than actually blaming beijing directly so with the tourism sector right even though there's been so much put into infrastructure to accommodate mass bus tours and i'm thinking like Banff and Whistler and Vancouver Island and, you you know, Niagara Falls is another big one. Quebec City is another big one as well. These guided tours, you know, there was some infrastructure invested in accommodation for these these groups. Well, there's other markets and the tourism sector can be incredibly resilient and uh, just simply pivot on to, to another market quite easily. So like, like I said, this is this is the first time I've seen China play chess when or play, play checkers when we're playing chess. I mean, it, it is
0: when when you say that they've typically gone after economic areas like agriculture, whatever. I mean, I guess I mean I don't guess this is another economic area. The China, I didn't realize this. China is, they say, our second largest tourist producing market. So, so it will have an impact. It's just it, they're just choosing a different way to hit us this time.
3: Exactly, and and where we're where we're gonna feel it is uh, noticeably in some of the the pre-advertised destinations, right? So, uh, the, the Rockies are the big ones. So the, uh, you know, up in Banff, Jasper, those national parks are, uh, heavily well they were heavily advertised before covid as being top destinations for travelers to go from china to to canada niagara falls is right in there and uh, quebec city as well is another one and then you know you sort of have the nature of these tours where it would be a combination of flights and buses waiting that would be able to get people even if it's a seven-day trip through quite a lot of canadian geography and and we're going to see that probably take a hit and the, the types of products that have also been sold along the lines, uh, the wine tours in the Okanagan, for example, and also in, in Southern Ontario, that's going to be something where those businesses will be like, well, this market might not come back. So how do we find a different market in this time? And, and it doesn't mean there's anything faulty with the experience or the product. It just means that market that has been proven historically vulnerable to uh, you know, as as lobster fishermen and and beef ranchers in Alberta have found, now the tourism sector is in there, and that's another thing, Scott, that 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 we see with with Chinese foreign policy to other countries uh, is that uh, you know you may not be the target today, but you could be the target tomorrow. So for a while, their tourism sector was was high in the sky. Now they're on the outs.
0: You say that this is checkers instead of playing chess, and I I take your point. On the other hand, I wonder the fact that this is a much more public view and potentially hits way more people than the canola oil i mean the lobster fishermen for example it would have absolutely affected them in a big way in canneries perhaps but this this seems like it's much more designed so that everybody is aware of what's happening here am i wrong
3: yeah yeah no you are you're right and and that's the the overtness of the embassy to say that we don't want our own citizens you know, going to, to Canada uh, because of these, these claims um, and and evidence of claims, I should also put in there, uh, about foreign interference is, is something that it's, it's making the statement that we're going to encourage, uh, that Beijing is going to encourage uh, its own citizens to travel back to Australia, back to New Zealand, to parts of the South Pacific are now opening up to tourism as well. And, you know i i don't think that on a global stage other countries are going to be like well why wouldn't you go to canada for a tour right like the the whole place is teeming with australians right We've, we they're all over the place right there's there's all sorts of, of tourists from around the world who come here and realize it's not it's not a bad experience mm. but what this might have done at the same time sort of making that aggressive statement towards ottawa is also exposing just how controlling beijing is in terms of allowing its own people to experience events outside of the country and that's that's one of the greatest paranoias of the, the the communist party of china can we still go there uh yes you can still get there uh especially if it's for a uh, business or a political reason uh that's that's the tourism the the have really backed off i mean if you just even look at the do a quick scan of social media you you won't see those tours that were being uh, broadcast even a few years ago but come to China on boat cruises and see the history of the culture you can still go um the the thing is that a lot of uh, I know academics right now and uh, other folks are a bit leery about accepting invitations to any sort of conferences that come up or any visiting opportunities at at universities in mainland China and and that's that's huge because in the universities uh there was so much infrastructure put into building those relationships and most of them are on ice right now i mean and i and i'm not sure that it would be a wise move to just reenact some of those uh, those relationships without a thorough a thorough security vetting mm. to be honest
0: Do you think this is going to work? I mean, ultimately, uh, you would think the whole idea here is, well, let's make sure enough people feel it so the government is pressured and the government backs off. Do you think it's going to work or do you think most Canadians now, maybe other than... Well, I don't know if Chinese people, new Chinese Canadians would fall into this, but I don't know. But do you think most Canadians are looking going, we'll, we'll live with this because we do believe we have to take a stand. Or do you think that ultimately money speaks louder than anything and in time enough pressure will be put on to say, yeah, we want to take a stand, but we also have to make a living.
3: Yeah. And I think a living will be made. Uh, I, you know, the one thing that that's incredible about, about tourism is that it does ebb and flow over the years i mean like I've, I've always enjoyed reading about the history of niagara falls right about how the tourism influxes have have come and gone over the over the century and and who comes when and how but it's not a static market it's not like there's a constant crowd that comes to one spot it does change so i think that in in the sense of you know the the poor resorts in banff and all the other uh sectors no those those hotel spaces will get filled somehow there there's a whole global network of of travel sites and travel organizations that are able to fill up hotel rooms and to, and to create experiences. I feel a little bit for the, the, the businesses who are relying on the the sort of the off center tourism, if it's like wineries or let's take a bus ride up to the, to the ice fields and, and, and Jasper that will probably need to, to rebound a little bit. But what, what is ultimately being shown here is I don't think that, that Canada, the Canadians are going to say, Oh, this is a, this is egregious. We have to we have to just say sorry to to Beijing for all of the stunts that they've pulled. I think it's going to be very easy for any political leader to make the case to say, look at this, look at what China's doing. They're they're literally fencing in their own people to go and experience. Canadian nature and the wonders that we've got here. Uh, what kind of an organization, uh, is this communist party of China to restrict people to this level? And I think that's, that could be a case that, uh, politicians in, in any party could, uh, could get b- behind a critique.
0: Okay. Um, and I agree. I don't expect that Canada is going to apologize for the things, the reasons that it's stood up for itself, but does it become gun If this, is what's in place now. And then something else comes later and something, if the pressure begins to mount with different things, do we become gun shy of speaking against China and activities that they're doing?
3: And that's something we have been, I think before the, the interference saga started out that there were all these moments when there was economic and political pressure put on us from Beijing and the, the, the culture in Ottawa and within the provinces was that we don't want to annoy Beijing. We don't want to annoy the Communist Party of China because we could be at risk of business loss. Well, any economist would say, "Look, this is so, this is so high risk as is. You can't depend on this. This is not a stable market. Uh, if if uh, a bureaucrat can just make a pen stroke and suddenly shut down an industry or 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 put a big dent in it. So I, I think that what what this is really going to articulate in the end is that we can't necessarily trust. The, the Communist Party of China to be a reliable trade partner if it's in tourism or in other sectors down the road. So as Canada is starting to get more innovative, say e-vehicles or other other tech sectors I mean you should see what's going on in Nova Scotia there's some really cool uh, tech sector innovation coming up it would be unwise to deal in business relationships with a government that can be that flippant and that,
0: and that you know, that ultimately that, that sort of, we get to the broadest part of this discussion, which is, does Canada need to begin exploring a, an economic future with much less China in it because yeah. of the risk that, you know, we say something, we do something that that country doesn't like. It just does something like this. It's such an enormous market for our exports and for our imports. Can we do that even if we want to?
3: Yeah, and and it's sometimes I, I feel that that Ottawa sometimes need to be reminded of its own geography lesson, that Canada is a Pacific nation. And there's lots of other areas in the Pacific where we've got opportunities for partnership. There's loads of opportunities in other uh countries in, in, in Asia, South Korea doing fine, Japan doing fine, um other rising economies uh as well, commitments to Taiwan, uh great great opportunities there for for partnerships and then the other part of the geography right is of course uh the north atlantic right europe is a very quick flight from uh from atlantic canada and there's all sorts of opportunities for investment and relationships to deepen there and that only just you know the opportunities that come from that uh even with the the war in ukraine right now only show the greater opportunity that's needed right we've we've canada hasn't done as much as we could have in contributing resources to to what what uh, nato and what the eu need to help support ukraine we could scale it up there we could also find new opportunities in the pacific as well even in terms of development assistance china is very competitive right now of trying to get alliances with south pacific island nations and a lot of those nations say we don't really want to deal with this character but they're the only game in town that's offering us resources and that's uh, that's another opportunity that i just see begging to be had by ottawa
0: it's a really interesting story that uh, that here we are and uh, that you know we're, we're never going to get into well i trust we're never going to get into an actual war with china but uh economically it's uh, it's a bit of a battle going back and forth about how uh Who's going to say what and who's going to stand for what and what's going to be the cost? And certainly Canada looks like we're going to pay a little bit here in tourism. Uh, Dr. Robert Hewish from uh, Dalhousie University, thank you so much for this. Thanks, Scott. Always a pleasure. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.